In this episode, I'm going to be reading chapter 11. Put your mind to rest. Take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it. Relax every, everything in your body while exhaling slowly. Another deep breath through the nose. Hold it. Release over every bone in your body. Feel yourself sinking into the bed and listen to the story as it unfolds. August 2 Washington. It was dark when Sarah left for Virginia that night. Colonel Fenton had given permission, but he and the doctor had argued. Hammond told her he wanted you to go out of uniform. It would be safer to say you were a relative visiting to console her for her husband's death. But what would a young man be doing out of uniform in these times? If you were a girl, it would be different. Sarah said nothing, just stood and waited. Her heart beating wildly inside her chest. Dr. Hammond sat, slumped, in his chair, brooding. Out of uniform would be safer, except if you were caught. Then you'd be shot as a spy. If you're caught in uniform, you at least have this. He handed her an official looking piece of parchment. She read it quickly. It said, she was on a mission under his direction. A mercy mission for supplies for the wounded. Sometimes the truth is the most simple and the best, he said, unless you run into the most hardened reb, they'll let you through. Of course, you may not be caught at all, Whatever happens, don't lose that paper or give it over to anyone. With that promise, Sarah took off. The horse she'd been given reminded her of Max. He was so lively and dear. Just riding a horse again gave her comfort, made her feel that nothing could hurt her. She had her map, also given her by Dr. Hammond, and she had no trouble on the long bridge that crossed the Potomac, though she was told there would be a guardhouse on the rebel side. There was, 
But the guard had a friend with him. Unfortunately, they were still celebrating the South's victory at Manassas, for they were half in their cups. They read Dr. Hammond's letter with a cursory glance and asking how far she was going for supplies, told her to be back between two hours or they'd send someone hunting for her. Then they waved her through. Sarah rode on through the darkening night. The air was silky and the earthy fragrance of the countryside with the added smell of nearby cattle made her feel at home. She felt she could ride on forever, but in no time at all, it seemed she came upon the farmhouse about three miles from the main road. There was a gate and then a lane that led to the house. It was a large house, two stories, with generous brick chimneys on either end. Oil lamps gleamed inside the curtained windows. She felt a pang of homesickness. Lamplight, real rooms, farm smells. How she missed them all. She dismounted in front and hitched the horse to a post. Then he used the large brass knocker on the door. The woman who answered was tall and thin and very dignified. She wore her hair knotted under a net in back and her dress was black as was appropriate to mourning. To what fortunate circumstances am I to attribute the pleasure of this unexpected call? She asked. She did not look as if anything was a pleasure to her. Sarah decided it was sarcasm. I'm the courier. For Dr. Hammond at a Washington hospital, she explained, he's badly in need of supplies. He knew your husband and said he would help us. A shadow seemed to cross the delicate features. Ah, yes, Dr. Hammond, she said, do come in. Sarah wiped her shoes on the mat before entering. Let me extend my condolences for your loss, ma'am. Dr. Hammond sends his compliments. Yes, he once worked under my husband's guidance. She ushered Sarah into a small parlour where Sarah gave her the list of supplies needed. I must be back within the hour or the guards at the Long Bridge will send soldiers out looking for me, said. The woman seemed nervous. She started out of the room, stopped 
glancing at Sarah, then to some middle distance behind her, then started out the room again. I'll get directly to this. I was just having some tea. Help yourself, she indicated a silver tray on a table. Sarah was not accustomed to such elegance. The silk draperies on the windows, the Persian carpet on the floor, of a tall clock, not to mention silver trays and china cups, flooded her with yearnings she could not put a name on. They had no such luxuries at home, and her surroundings lulled her. She picked up a newspaper from Richmond and started reading accounts of the recent battle. Then she wondered how this woman managed to live in rebel country when her husband and sons were fighting for the Yankees. She supposed it was because he'd been a doctor She drank her tea and leaned back in the rocker. Fifteen minutes went by. The clock struck the quarter hour, fifteen minutes past eleven. Sarah stood up, set her cup down and ventured into the centre hall. Ma'am, there was a winding staircase that led to the upper floor. The banister was of thick, polished wood. Above, on the landing, were oil paintings of people of the last century. Sarah decided that either Mrs. Briscoe or her husband belonged to one of the first families of Virginia Yes, came the reply from above stairs. I haven't much time. I must soon be starting back. You must understand, came the muffled answer. It's difficult going through my husband's things. Sarah sighed and went to sit back down. The clock chimed another quarter of an hour. Surely, it couldn't take so long to get together the necessary items. She was getting suspicious. Did she hear voices upstairs? But of course the woman had servants. She could not possibly be alone in this house. Still, Sarah betook herself once again to the hall. Ma'am, she called up the stairs. The woman started to come down. In her hands was a basket. As she reached the end of the stairway, she headed into the kitchen. I want to send back some butter and eggs with you, she called over her shoulder. Please don't detain me any longer, Sarah begged. She came out of the kitchen with another basket a small one, covered with a napkin. 
Her face was very white, Sarah noticed, and she seemed to be trembling. Mrs. Briscoe, I'm sorry if fetching your husband's things was painful for you, Sarah said. Are you all right? I'm perfectly fine. She walked Sarah to the front door. Before Sarah went out, she held out a green bag, as Dr. Hammond had directed. Oh, it is of no consequence, the woman said. I am glad to contribute. Sarah thanked her, took the two baskets and went out. I'll have to put the things in my saddlebags. I can't haul baskets. I'll leave them at the hitching post, she said, and she proceeded to do so, carefully packing the medicine lint and food into her saddlebags. Then, as she turned to set the two baskets down on the walk near the hitching post, and was about to mount her horse, she heard the discharge of a pistol. The report was so loud and unexpected that all Sarah could do at first was drop to the ground and hold her hand in front of her face. She felt the bullet whiz by. Then she reached for her own pistol, but Mrs. Brisk was in the act of firing again. Sarah held her pistol firmly. Was the woman mad? Another report from Mrs. Briscoe's gun. The bullet whizzed far to the right of Sarah's ear. Sarah fired back, determined not to kill her, but to frighten her. Mrs. Briscoe's pistol went flying and she screamed and held up both hands. Sarah could see the one dripping blood. The woman was shrieking wildly. You tried to kill me, and I lost a husband and two sons in the battle. I have no one, and you, a Yankee soldier, come here and try to kill me. She was crying hysterically. Sarah put her pistol in her belt and went to Mrs. Brisk, who was now on the ground, moaning. There seemed to be a terrible lot of blood. Quickly, she untied the end of her halter strap and wound it around the wrist of the woman's wounded hand. She wished she had hot salty water to purify the wound. Sued from the fireplace to press against the cut any of the remedies her mother had taught her. She satisfied herself by rummaging in the saddle bags for some clean lint and bandaging the hand. When that was done, she helped the woman to her feet, but she held on to the end of the halter strap let me go. Mrs. Briscoe seemed crazed. Her neat hairdo had come undone 
she was pulling away. From the upper floors of the house, Sarah saw some gas lamps lit. Fear coursed through her. If the servants perceived trouble, they'd call for help. She'd never get out of the rebel territory. She drew her pistol again, at the same time pulling the woman out of the light that splashed onto the ground. Mrs. Brisk, you all right, ma'am? Was that gunfire? The voice was that of a negro servant. Sarah saw him leaning out the window. Say yes, she whispered savagely. Say some soldiers just went by. I'm fine, Pompey, Mrs. Briscoe called out. I'm going for a stroll in the garden. Some soldiers just went by. They must be drunk. The window shut, and in a minute or so, the gas-lit lamp moved away. You bring an alarm, and I'll have the whole countryside of Rebs down on me, Sarah whispered. Now, I have to get back across the river. I'm taking you with me. You have no right. I have every right and duty. I don't know why you tried to shoot me. I'm not the enemy. You are. They were whispering at each other viciously now. All the while, Sarah was pulling her over to her horse. Oh, and tell me how that came to be. All of you are this war. The sobbing picked up in pitch again. All you soldiers are to blame. We had a good life here. Now, I have nothing. Sarah mounted her horse. Get on behind me. I won't. Get on, I said. If you don't, you'll walk. Or more likely, be dragged behind. With another sob, the woman obeyed. Sarah helped pull her up behind her, surprised at how light in weight she was. Then she drew the woman's hands around her and tied them in front of her uniform blouse. For almost five miles, as they made their way along the darkened roads in the night, Mrs. Briscoe gave Sarah the rough side of her tongue. Crazy, she'd say. You're all crazy, all the army, both the armies. I've lost everything. I hate all soldiers. You just behave yourself when we get to the guard post at the bridge, Sarah threatened. Or when we get to the Union lines, I'll tell them you're a rebel spy. As they got closer to the long bridge, Mrs. Briscoe's tongue turned softer. Her weeping ceased and she spoke quietly to Sarah. I'm sorry, I shot at you. I don't know what's come over me. Tom would never forgive me. I'm from an old Salvan family, you know, but he loved the Union so. 
just keep still tongue in your head when we get to the bridge, Sarah admonished. They got past the guard at the bridge because it was near two in the morning and he was sleepy and because Sarah told him the woman she had in tow was Dr. Briscoe's wife and that her husband was still missing since the battle and they were going to Washington Hospital to locate him. Shouldn't let y'all through, the guard said, but I promised you private that I would. I'm a man of honour and the doctors work themselves to the bone in the battle, helping both sides. When they arrived at Dr. Hammond's hospital tent, a clock from a church tower in Washington was eerily striking free in the morning. White tents were ghostly on the hills and campfires flickered. Guards on picket duty stopped Sarah and she had to slow the note from Dr. Hammond three times. She was sick with exhaustion when she delivered Mrs. Briscoe inside. Dr. Hammond had gotten up out of his bed. He looked rumpled and worn and, in the whispered conversation that followed, thanked her profusely. But tears came into his eyes when Sarah took him inside and told him the story of Mrs. Briscoe. She was such a gracious lady and I knew the two boys, he said. Thank you, Private Compton. I'll see that she's cared for. You'd best get your rest. Sarah started for her cot behind the boxes of supplies. As she lay down, she thought she heard Mrs. Briscoe telling Dr. Hammond that the hand wasn't bad. Why, with just a little bandage, she'd be fit to help him in his hospital. Wouldn't he like that? She knew nursing from helping her husband. Sarah thought she heard Dr. Hammond say, yes, that would be fine, but she wasn't sure. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.